everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. This desolate lost homes that you hear, of course, are that of the undisputed king of the mods, the podfather of professional wrestling, Flash Morgan Webster. Or more importantly than that, for the next, uh, let's say, 45 minutes to the hour, maybe hour and a half, however long this conversation with Matt Seidal goes this week. Oh my god, Matt Seidal is going to be so good. Um... I will be your host, or as I like to see it, facilitator for these chats, discussions, gatherings. Oh, I absolutely love that word, gatherings, with your wrestling favourites. Or as I like to call them, my buddies, my pals, my acquaintances, but always my wrestling friends. This podcast, of course, if you're an avid listener, you'll know this podcast comes to you free of charge uh, every Wednesday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Spotify, Buzzsprout, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast from. If it's a good podcast outlet, I'm on it. Um, and I'm able to do that because you guys are wonderful and keep listening and the numbers keep going up and it motivates me and keeps me wanting to do it. Um, if you do want to help me out, please be sure to rate, subscribe, review on iTunes or wherever you're on your uh, get your podcast from. Give us a cheeky five-star rating. Uh, give us some good reviews. I am running a competition this week, this week, this month on iTunes. Uh, you leave me a, uh, a review put in your Twitter handle or maybe email address, whatever you want to do. And uh, if you're selected, I'll uh, contact you and drop you some goodies. I've definitely got some t-shirts. I've had a look through. Hopefully they're in the size if you win. Um, I'll send you some stuff. I might pick more than one person. Who knows? I've got some stock. I might get rid of it. But yeah, that costs you absolutely nothing to do. Just leave me a cheeky uh, a cheeky review, cheeky rating, and it'll hopefully push me out to more people. Again, if anyone knows how to fix the... Somebody did it mess me the other week and I haven't checked it out on Anchor. Um, but if you do know how to sort it out so I get added to the wrestling podcast uh, search, because apparently I'm just under sports, then again, send me an email uh, at flashmorgan at live.co.uk and tell me how to do that. And if it helps me and it fixes a problem, then I'll chuck you some free stuff as well. I'm very generous, feeling very, very generous at the moment. But uh, yeah, please be sure to do that. Rate, subscribe, review. Uh, helps The algorithm helps push our, me up the charts and make sure that more people are able to find this. The As I said, listeners are going up every single week. I uh, really appreciate that. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to uh, give me a share on the social medias. I'm at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter. I'm Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster on the Facebook. I'm at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. Just hit 30,000 followers on the Instagram. I'm very, uh, very close to that as well on the Twitter. So go on, give me a follow. Help, help, uh, help a mod on his way. But yeah, big thanks for anyone following me on Instagram. Just hit 30,000, which is ridiculous. The most I've ever wrestled in front of is 10,000, and that seemed like insane amounts of numbers. So three times that, if you're good at maths. So yeah, um, please be sure to do that on at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. Or as I said, uh, if you want to send me an email, if you want to tell me how to fix the problem of me not being on wrestling podcast lists, uh, then please send me an email at flashmorgan at live.co.uk. Yeah, that's great. Really, really appreciate that. So, this week's guest is Matt Seidel. Um, this one's great. It really is. Um, just like Alex Shelley, it's somebody that I've been watching for years. Matt, I remember watching... I think I've, I've been a, a, fr- a fan of Matt's for maybe maybe 20, maybe 20 years. Maybe, yeah, close to... Got to be close to 20 years, which is mental, really. Um, Matt's been absolutely killing it. He's worked for every major promotion you can, except for All Elite. He's done some crazy stuff some of the stuff he's done in Money in the Bank some of the stuff he's done in New Japan really 
absolutely insane. And this is such a wonderful chat to sit down and it's a real retrospect of his career. And he says some real nice kind words at the end. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more at the end of the podcast after you listen to it. But it's a real, real nice chat. We talk about him starting off. We talk about how the scenes changed. Uh, we talk about how he, you know, found Delirious and how they found each other and how his style wasn't really the style. And just about kind of loving and enjoying wrestling. He's such a lovely guy, like such a, a kindred spirit. And the way he talks about wrestling and talks about kind of like the search of knowledge is such a lovely part of the podcast. He talks about kind of really wanting to kind of pursue as much knowledge as he possibly can through wrestling. And that's kind of taken him to the places that he's gone through WWE, uh, New Japan, Japan in general with Dragon Gate. And he just talks about how it changes his perception on everything as he goes along. Um, I try not to give too many spoilers where you're, it really is just a lovely podcast. And I think it's one that you all are going to really enjoy. As I said, he's a real nice guy. Uh, we do chat about injuries. We chat about a little bit about COVID. So apologies to anyone who's using this at the moment to escape it. But it doesn't last very long. You know, 15 seconds or whatever. Um, there is a bit uh, in the middle where it does get a bit choppy. Again, this is... Uh, I'm still within the first month of me doing these... These... Uh, not a... But what do I use to record this? I can't even remember now. I don't use Spotify. The word S keeps coming to me. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to keep this bit in because it's me really clutching straws trying to figure out what... It Skype. There we go. I use Skype. Look at that. Lockdown. Local lockdown. But yeah, we use Skype. Um, there is a bit. Maybe like it goes on for about three or four minutes uh, where it does get a bit choppy in the middle. So I apologise about that. I did even try at some point to move around uh, the house and try to get a better internet connection. But um, I don't know whether it was my end or whether it was his end. Um, I know Virgin Media has been a real drag recently. But hey, um, I was able to record six podcasts this week. And it's the only one where I've had a problem. As I said, it only lasts for about three or four minutes. Uh, hopefully you can kind of, you know, bear with it and get through it. Uh, if not, feel free to skip those three or four minutes. Uh, sorry, Matt, didn't say that. But yeah, feel free to skip those three or four minutes. Um, there is some real good stuff in there. Uh, but yeah, that's the only bit. If it does get a bit choppy in the middle, it does get better again. Um, and I said, only that's about three or four minutes. So apologies to anyone listening. Who's yours? That does hurt. As for my weekend review, which I'm trying to do and try to use this to vent. Uh, not vent, wrong word. Trying to use this to kind of get stuff off my chest. Um, I guess it's been a bit more of a quiet week. Um, I've really kind of started to feel like I've hit a... Uh, really started to hit a, a swag with my well, workouts. Just moved everything into the shed. Um, I've decided to call it the yellow sub-machine after... Uh, after Will Osprey told me that Le Gym was not a good name. <laughs> but yeah, it's the Elsa machine. Um, and it's, yeah, it's real fun. It makes me feel like I'm actually leaving the house. So again, if anyone is doing workouts at the moment in their house and they do have a shed, I recommend just going to your shed or your garage because I like to leave the house at the moment and say, hey, I'm going to the gym. And it makes me feel like I have left. Also, today, did this great workout and it was absolutely roasting. It must have easily been 40 degrees 40 to 5 degrees in that shed. I was sweating absolute buckets. And my thought process is that if I can get away with doing these workouts in that in that heat, then when I get back in the ring, it should be no problem at all. So yeah, that was it. Uh, but yeah, I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope that uh, everyone's kind of looking after each other and we're all staying indoors because I know that uh, there has been some stuff recently about... Uh, as being over the peak and whether you believe that or not it uh, doesn't really matter but all I'm going to say is at the moment especially in the UK stuff has not been lifted so please remember to stay indoors and please stay safe um, 
I guess that does sum everything up. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, hopefully this is a nice little distraction, apart from a little bit where we do talk about COVID. Um, majority of it is COVID free. So I hope this is uh, a really nice distraction, an audio distraction, a social, an audio social distance distraction with the one, Matt Seidel. Enjoy, people. Oh, my God. Uh, what, a di- what a change, right? What a do- What an absolute change in lifestyle. Yeah, well, uh, while Bo was literally, he was at the airport ready to fly out for WrestleMania weekend because they brought him out like three weeks early so they could do some training stuff. And mm-hmm. he got to the airport and then WWE messaged him and was like, now nah, we've cancelled anyone flying in. So yeah, like in a matter of like 24 hours, everything changed. Yeah, just for, for me, the interest of the health and safety is like primary. And I was, I was like ranting and raving at the school i said it's going to be canceled mania this year canceled mania and nobody believed me and then all of a sudden it was just like uh the, the flip the switch got flipped and and that was that and now we're into this new world and now wrestling the way you know everything we've been training up until now is kind of irrelevant because the way we'll be presenting wrestling and everything is it's completely different well actually you know the benefit of wrestling in front of nobody has, will have done us a lot of good because that might be what we're doing for some time yeah, these uh, these kids who came in over the last like you know three or four year boom where they've been in front of big crowds, they're gonna go back to the early two thousands <laughs> where they were in front of nobody. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, and you know, hey, it's it's if it's that's what we have to do for safety. You know, I'll still wrestle in front of fifty people. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, same, totally same. Now, again, they could uh, they could say that we're again with us with uh, WWE, I guess when uh, stuff of yours lifted a little bit, we might end up doing empty venue. Uh, shows before we actually do any stuff with fans and i'm totally okay with that i just want to wrestle at this point yeah it'd be cool like doing that liverpool venue with no one there (laughs) that's epic like it it would be cool if they picked like venues that were like the ones that we were using like i don't know it's 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 wild you know it's it'll be a lot of innovation in a short amount of time i think i think right now like the the way what wrestling is going to be going forward is being like imprinted right now in these coming weeks because you know during a crisis there's always a lot of change and i don't know who you know the, these guys leading the change and doing these crazy you know mp arena matches and the, this year's wrestlemania just being like completely unique into itself a, you know the it's in typical wrestling fashion the show's going on whether the world's burning or not we're like we're gonna be wrestling yeah that's that's i, I couldn't put it any better myself mate i really couldn't um yeah, so anyone who's listening right now, uh, my guest this week, of course, is uh, Matt Seidel. Um, I'm glad we finally got to do this, too, because, again, I dropped you a message, and uh, I was like, will he, will he, uh, I was like, wonder if I'm going to get a message back, and within about a day, you were like, yep, let's do this, I'm totally up for it, so I'm really glad we're getting to sit down and chat. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, this was exciting for me, too. Um, so, Matt, how I usually like to start these, then, is... What's your earliest memory of wrestling? When can you remember falling in love with wrestling? Maybe that's a two-part question. Maybe it's one. Yeah, when can you remember falling in love? Or what's your earliest memory? Yeah, so, I mean, it really is two different things. Because I just remember, like, imitating the Steiner brothers with my brothers. You know, when we were, like, in pajamas, like, super, super youth. But, um, like, my my resurgence came... um, Kind of going between middle school and high school. And in that summer... My friends and I would just rent movies 
from like the dollar store VHSs. And we ended up renting every single wrestling video that weekend. I didn't have cable or any way to like watch the current happenings. But so we just like dug into all the old Royal Rumbles and just all these classic pay-per-views. And that sort of started like the neighborhood obsession with it. Uh, and it like, and it wasn't before long. I mean, like, I mean, I w- for me, it's been a long, long love affair. I mean, I've been wrestling actively for over 20 years. So, I mean, like, you know, I could tell you I fell in love with wrestling again, you know, uh, multiple times. But those those first times, man, it just um, that those were the times that inspired me to get out and do it. Like after we rented all these VHSs, basically um, uh, we had been kind of half ass doing backyard wrestling. But then a friend of ours gave us a video a VHS of his friends through this through his job as a caddy at the golf course they gave him a tape of their backyard wrestling and we were like you mean that big sign before raw that says do not try this at home that's that's more of a suggestion (laughs) oh okay like we can do this at home and then i mean from the moment we got that is when we uh, when my obsession deepened because i really liked the physical activity of it but was just always worried about hurting somebody from wrestling and then i saw these kids and i mean they were as reckless as you can get. I mean, just smashing each other with stuff, going through, you know, tables and doors and wood and whatever. Uh, yeah, that was a huge inspiration to me to start my own backyard federation. And then uh, that's the the physical aspect of it. The you know, not watching it on TV, but actually doing it is what cemented uh, wrestling as like a part of my blood. I feel as well like you can always like you can always tell someone who's been a backyarder before they've gone pro because it's like the, the way that they kind of like creatively come up with stuff and put it together is so much different because they haven't had somebody kind of like formulately explaining wrestling to them as they kind of start out. Yeah. I mean, like if you can't just look at it and uh, like, I mean, I, I, I'm hard on my students. I'm like, if you can't, if, if you weren't putting your friends in Boston crabs, you're not ready to start training here. Like if you don't have, if you're not already coming up with your own stuff, it's like, that's the kind of inspiration that gets guys in rings. And I mean, like for me, all the wrestlers that I think are the best wrestlers ever are basically backyard wrestlers, like the young bucks, ricochet Pac. I mean, these guys just come right out of the backyard. I mean, what, what's your, what's your backyard career? Like most British wrestlers just start being professionals at age 13 and a half, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I came from the same sort of like forum as uh, I was posting stuff. I knew like Osprey when he was like 14, and I was like, probably mm-hmm. like, I was like 16 or whatever. And we'd gone to like some backyard federation in Aylesbury. We'd all travel down to like backyard together and stuff like that. And I even like Mark, I remember I got a booking in my first ever booking in England came from the fact that Pete Dunn used to follow our backyard stuff. And then when we went pro, he was like, are the backyard is any good yet? And then Mark Andrews was like, yeah, they're pretty high. And then he got us a booking in England. <laughs> so literally that was my entire step into pro was a kid from uh, England who'd seen me backyard and was like, yep, okay, we'll get him and Wild Boar on the, on the shows then. I mean, that's like an international booking by age four. I mean, that's, that's so impressive. But it's like, you know, you really can't understand the business from that child, childlike perspective. And I find like the more I think about wrestling from that 17 year old or 18 year old standpoint, the, the more I'm able to forget about all that stuff that people have told me what wrestling is supposed to be or what you read that, it, that, that this makes good wrestling. It's like good wrestling is, is more of a feeling. It's more of like an experience. 
experience and, it, and in, to really try and break it down. Um, you know, if you separate all the parts out, it somehow is less than if you put all those parts together, plus like that magic of wrestling, it somehow is more. Um, you know, and I think we, we've all just felt it. And so we just try and express that through our art, through our wrestling. You know, we're just trying to express that feeling that grabbed us when we were when we were young and our imaginations were just running wild. I mean, I think we get to like a point, don't we, where it's like, okay, I've taken this backyard thing as far as I possibly can. I need to kind of like, again, I guess I even said like goal, I set goals for myself in the backyard, which is funny. And then once they were achieved, I was like, well, I guess I've got to go pro now. I guess that's what I've got to do. Were you the same? Um, well, sort of, I went pro because my backyard fed dissolved and there was a, there was a local indie that we had been going to like a few of their shows. And, but when I showed up there, I, I mean, I immediately was like, I'm better than all these guys. I had a horrible <laughs> attitude. I mean, like they, it, not all of them, but as, especially like a lot of the, the trainees and that, I mean, basically until like delirious came along. Not that I thought I was like outrageous. It's just, I kind of n- didn't need as much teaching because I was already familiar with all the moves and and planning out a match and, and all, and all these things. But, um, the, the St. The St. Louis indie scene was like, had, was very like much about hardcore wrestling. I mean, as wrestling was at that time where it was really about just beating up trainees and putting them through tables, uh, instead of actually like, you know, the, the finer points, I mean, uh, Midwest pro wrestling was very like rough and tough, not necessarily like the refined high spot style that kind of is more popular now. Were you like so? You like how long was it then from you starting your training sessions to you actually getting on pro shows? Because again, I feel like again same sort of position because when we got there and we started training, we'd already kind of taught ourselves a lot of the stuff that like you know the basics that people would have to kind of get fine tuned to do. So we mm-hmm. kind of got fast tracked as well. So were you the same? Yeah, and I mean like I was made out of rubber, so like you you could I, I was already familiar with how to land on your head from my backyard days. So I was pretty good at that. And like, uh, it was about maybe three months before I did like, um, a little, we had a public access TV show that we were doing. So I was on that after about three months, they put me through a table and then they gave me a match. And, you know, after that, I was basically working shows two two shows a weekend, every weekend, uh, you know, maybe every other weekend or real early on. What was we had a great, what was we had a good like schedule. Right, right at that point, it was like right around 2000. So the scene was still pretty hot that, you know, hardcore wrestling was huge. There was always like crazy bloodbaths on all the shows I was on. I mean, just uh, exploding ring bar, like bar, uh, barbed wire ropes, exploding ring death matches were like, we, that was what we were touring with at the time. Uh, and that was like our big main event, big featured main event. We did a lot of, uh, in Missouri, they would say barbed wire, Bob wire, like a guy's name, Bob. So there would be a lot of Bob Wire. He was uh, one of the main eventers. But literally, man, like every match was always like a death match on the show. That um, nah, was really fun, man. And it was it, at that time, it was more about, you know, just starting your own fed and like just doing your own thing. And we weren't really comparing ourselves. There wasn't like um, one large like discussion of what the wrestling world was talking about. Everybody was sort of doing their own things remotely. And I mean, we we really enjoyed it because I, I was just obsessed with the indie that I was a part of. I wasn't really like obsessed with uh, other wrestling. I mean, I was following like IWA Mid South at the time because that was like the biggest organization in the Midwest uh, that that had shows like with all the stars on it. Um, but I, but outside of that, there wasn't 
a whole lot going on. Like that's right around the time that Ring of Honor got started. I remember getting CZW tapes at the time and seeing like Amazing Red and Sonjay and just having my mind explode. Um, so th- that was sort of like what the, the scene was. There was like a bunch of fair shows and like kind of hillbilly wrestling as well. But that was like just when the indie, the like the Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles type of indie wrestling started to break out. Well, you talk about like IWA Mid South. So you were, were you, you were quite aware that like the how big that was because even though it was quite local to you guys, it was like smaller. For us, it was still quite a big show. It still had some of the big names that were, as you said, coming through Ring of Honor. So you were quite aware of that when you were a part of it. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I got the IWA Mid South newsletter. I mean, I don't know if you know, I don't know if I. I had to figure Ian was making money some way other than the fans in attendance because there weren't that many. So, you know, we just assumed that he was selling some tapes, not, no really clue how many, but, you know, it was just the only place you could go to work guys better than you, where you were guaranteed to be the worst guy in the locker room. I mean, I guar- was guaranteed for me that I was, and that was what I was looking for. I mean, I, like, I couldn't believe the, the difference in the levels between local and world class. I sort of, like, I... I, I, I did really really local a little bit of national like when i did some tna stuff and then i went to iwa mid-south where there was that local aspect but the guys that were coming in it would be like ken anderson and he would be just this huge jacked up awesome indie wrestler from you know up north there was he so it it really was like a higher quality um feel to the show but i mean it felt dangerous i think i went to just the, the more dangerous and wild and crazy it felt like even when I first started at the, at the first indie I started, they would bring in New Jack and it would just scare and terrify everyone in the locker room. I mean, it was like a really wild west times. Like it wasn't like this welcoming, wonderful world of wrestling that we have now. Um, you know, this before you could find out about how wrestling worked online, you had to go find out in person. I think that's what intrigued me so much about it is your research would only lead you so far. You had to step in the ring to find out the rest of it. And I really wanted to find out, you know, um, a little bit later on, after those first few years, is when I started traveling with Delirious. And uh, when I would crash at his house before we would go to a, a TNA show or uh, one of Ian's shows, he he had the largest tape collection that I had ever seen. And that's when I first, that's when we found Tor Yuman, Dragon Gate, and that's who gave me like my best, my first best of the Super Juniors tape. And those those tapes were just as, like, game-changing as those early tapes were for me. Uh, but this time, thinking about myself as a wrestler. So they were transformational to me from, like, the, my in-ring aspect. And I was like, I want to wrestle like these guys. And uh, I basically started just trying to wrestle and fast-forward like them. When we talk about Delirious, and I guess one of the things, especially early in your career, that feud with him defined stuff. Was it, like, was it just based, that feud and that chemistry come from just you guys having this mutual love of wrestling and finding each other amongst that scene? Yeah, I, I really think so. He like Del- I think Delirious came to a, a show I wrestled at and was like, well, if they'll let a guy as small as him wrestle, well, they'll probably let me wrestle too because I'm bigger than him. <laughs> uh, you know, at that time, it was just such a stereotype of wrestling that luckily, thank goodness we've changed, you know, but that, there was just such that stereotype that you, you had to be you know, 215 pounds to, to start wrestling in, in the Midwest. Uh, but so, yeah, he, he started training and immediately, like, uh, it, we just clicked. Like, it, he, we were just able to 
self-train ourselves together. And then when we started going on the road to Ian shows, you know, we were basically the only ones crazy enough just to drive and show up at just drive and show up, which is, you know, how you get booked. We just kept doing it. And um, the, the in between the drives, because these were extraordinarily long trips, you know, at probably six or eight hours on average, uh, we would just go over what we could do better. You know, we were just always just trying to push ourselves and improve. And I mean, I really feel like I started getting worse the second I wasn't in a car with him, you know, all the time. Um, I mean, that's there's, and then basically like when I went back to ROH after WWE, I felt like I kicked it into gear again because I, I had someone like him to bounce ideas off of like delirious and like Roddy strong are two of my favorite people to talk wrestling with. They just understand it at this extraordinary high level. And I'm always just like, uh, they're always able to like make the pieces fit for me that before I, I was just kind of, they were random for me. They, they really just put it together and held me to a really high, high standard, you know, good, you know, okay, or good enough, or, Hey, good job. It wasn't ever good enough for them. They always wanted more. And they were just always constantly trying to improve even like, Oh my God, the crowd loved it. They went crazy. And like, for, for us, it's just like, you know, that wasn't going to be good enough. We had to be, you know, you wanted to be the best. You wanted to be better than everybody else. And, you know, they, those two guys really had the drive that kind of woke me up, uh, out, out of like, Hey, this is, you don't just go out there like and do these matches and mediocre and like this is you know it's big it matters like you know you have to put everything you have into it and that these were the guys that made me want to quit my job and just go only wrestle. I love Roddy as well. Roddy's still exactly like it now. Like I'll come up to him after I've done some like NXT stuff and I'll be like anything and I love he look at me and he go give, give me a, give me a minute I'll come find you and then about thirty or forty minutes later he'll come back with like a list of things. Which is always great because yeah. he's like he took his time to kind of like let the if it's had good reactions from the crowd he lets that wear off he kind of lets it cool down from his brain then he'll start to like kind of take it apart a little bit and then he'll come back to you with some really great stuff all the time I love it. Yeah, I mean, I really think he, him and the Bucks had so much to do with the resurgence of PW like with PWG leading to AEW. I mean, uh, the the way the old sort of that old school mentality of always holding the guys you're on the shows with to the highest standard is, you know, it, it can be lost on your friends because like, man, Roddy, he's not going to talk to you like, like your friend. He's going to tell you like somebody who's trying to protect this business that means so much to all of us. And I mean, but that's, that's why the business is up right now because everybody decided that, Hey, good job. Wasn't good enough. We want to be, we want people like on the edge of their seats and exploding and jumping out of their seats every match, every night, all night long. Till they can't, till till they want to come back every month, and you know that's really how you build a crowd is one by one, and and oh boy, sorry, I'm getting messages, but yeah, I mean it's it's just like that grassroots mentality, it's it it always applies, it never changes in WWE. In fact, it's 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 better when you can remember that because then you remember that the fans that are like it may seem like there's 30 fans just yelling for your autograph, but each one each one of those people matters, and like the same way they did when there was only 30 of them. And it's like the interaction you give them, even though there's thousands of them there, the one-on-one time you give those fans matters to them the same way it did to the Ring of Honor fans. And, you know, you can just really, you know, you can always hold yourself to a high professional standard and then also give the fans what they want too. like, those aren't like, those aren't, those, those aren't separate. Well, speaking about Ring of Honor, how did how did that come about? Because again, we'd I'd been following the Indies from from a young age, especially in the early two thousands. I'd seen bits and pieces of you, but I remember 
really kind of learning about your stuff in Ring of Honor. So how did Ring of Honor come about? Yeah, I mean, I can remember, like, my junior year of college, like, just walking the halls, daydreaming of, like, getting to Ring of Honor. Like, I could smell it. It was close. Like, we were closing in on it. We had done a couple do or dies. Uh, We hadn't, like, you know, Ring of Honor didn't run too much in the Midwest, so it it was hard to get there. And uh, basically what happened is there was a huge incident involving ROH management and Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles decided to take a leave of absence from Ring of Honor. Maybe they left and went to TNA at that time. Uh, But basically they just left the week before a show, two shows in Minnesota and Chicago. And uh, we basically got the call. Hey, do you guys want to show up to the show in Minneapolis and you can get to work? Um, No no promises for the next night. Yeah, we just drove 14 hours to Minneapolis. Uh, Delirious and I, we wrestled each other, tore it down. Um, uh, Then... I wrestled in a schmoz at the end of the night and I did a shooter to the floor and got yelled at by Roddy because that's Mark Briscoe's move and I should have never done it. Uh, and my forearms need to get better. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and then the next night we went to Chicago and I'm not sure, but we ended up, maybe we got a tag match against some people, but that we, we basically were fill-ins, uh, went out there and worked for, you know, nothing. And, uh, after those two shows, that's when they started asking us to come out to like Ohio and, and to be on the shows for a little bit of, you know, probably basically gas money. And then eventually, you know, we just kept showing up. I, I tagged with um, CD for a while and I tagged with AJ and I eventually worked my way up uh, and through generation next worked my way up to where they would actually fly me out to the East coast shows. We did that big cage match against the embassy uh, like R- Ring of Honor was awesome. That was, I mean, I got to wrestle Kenta. I got to wrestle Marafuji. Uh, I wrestled the Dragon Gate guys. And basically after I wrestled them, that's how I got into Dragon Gate. Because Gabe booked uh, me and AJ against Genki and Dragon Kid. And then basically I got a, a month later, I got a message on MySpace from SEMA seeing if I wanted to go to, to Dragon Gate in Japan. And I like I couldn't believe it it was the most unbelievable thing ever because they never brought in foreigners and that was just basically unheard of and yeah that they brought in Jack and Roddy and then they brought in me next and that was sort of like the next springboard that I took before we kind of get to Dragon Gate because I do definitely want to speak Dragon Gate like when we were when you're doing those Generation Next cage matches and you speak about you kind of being like in your first weekend you're doing the shooters of the floor and you're just like you made a rubber and you're trying to like impress and stuff like that how did you approach those cage matches? Did you kind of, especially with Roddy being in there, were you just kind of like, right, I'm just going to go there and do the most craziest stuff I could? And did you know at the time that, like, those cage matches would be the ones that we would look back on, you know, 10, 15 years later, kind of being the ones that kind of changed the game and stuff like that? No, I mean, I, I don't think anybody cared. Uh, I mean, I really, you know, just we were just doing our thing. You know, it was sort of irregardless of uh, irregardless. I don't think that's a word. It was just we we were focused on what we were doing. We were trying to put on a good show, but there there was no sense of like, you know, this will be timeless or, you know, somebody else might watch this in the future. I mean, you know, we just figured it was our limited audience, but we were going to go nuts in it. For me in those matches, I was just like, what does Abyss want to give me? Like, what do these guys want to do to me? That's sort of a insane person's approach to it. But I was always more more thinking of what what. I can do to make somebody else look good in those matches that, you know, kind of one thing for me, one thing for them always. Um, But yeah, for me, like the more epic matches were like, 
you know, being there live for Joe Kobashi, it was, you know, you're just a fa- getting, I mean, I saw like Punk and Joe go to 60 Minutes more than once. Brian and Punk, Joe and Brian, just, you know, a lot of the guys that are on top of WWE right now were, have, have always been good for the last 20 years. And I've always found myself feeling inferior to them, but being very proud to be on the same cards as them with as much frequency as possible, because I always wanted to, like, I always wanted to just be able to be proud of my work and my work is the whole show. And so to be able to like invite your friends to these shows uh, and knowing that you're going to give them not some hillbilly stalling wrestling where nobody really works hard. It was like guaranteed to watch a bunch of guys go in there, wrestle hard and um, redefine what, wrestling was and changed that stereotype you you kind of came from like the golden age of american independent wrestling as you said so many people now you could list that are on the top or have been on the top of major companies that came from that circle was there a moment where like i asked this to somebody else recently where you thought to yourself i where you start to think maybe that cockiness came in where you started thinking you're really good yeah i'm getting the hang of this this is i'm really good at wrestling and then is there a match you can remember where you stepped in there with one of them guys and realized that you absolutely know nothing and that you're miles away from where they are? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, for me, it happened at IWA Mid-South when I wrestled Jamie Noble. Uh, I, I think I was doing ROH at the time, or I was, like, close to close to getting there. I mean, I was doing TNA for sure. Um, and then I wrestled Jamie, and I learned more in that 15 minutes than I did in the five years before. I mean, without a doubt, like... I mean, instantly, like J- Jamie Noble has been one of these guys that's been a curator of the business that really passes down the, the knowledge the old school way, you know, with his fists and his boots and, you know, uh, just by physically showing you in the ring. And, yeah, that was like the, the biggest learning experience I had um, er- early on. And that was just the game that that one. And actually, even before that, the first time I ever got my ass really kicked in the ring was by Kid Cash. And that was a wake up call that like I was the best local wrestler, you know, me and, you know, I was easily the best high flyer in GCW, but no one came, like, you know, and he just told me, like, if you want to take this act a little further, you're going to have to change it up. You're going to have to go out of your comfort zone. Like what works here is not going to work further out. Like, I'm sure we were in some, I think we were in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, you know, and like he, he was right. You know, he had been to Philadelphia. He knows what Philadelphia. So it was like starting to prep myself for that leaving of Midwest politeness to like, see if you can make it in New York or Philly. I remember like kind of watching those early days of ring of honor and the match that really kind of like, no, it wasn't so much early days, but like the build up to those matches, you kind of get bigger and bigger opportunities. And for me, the one that really stood out was uh, you and AJ. I remember you kind of having that match. And then afterwards I felt like the fans viewed you differently. Like you'd almost like stepped up a level. So you wasn't just a new guy coming in then. You kind of were a guy that established himself and showed that he could hang with what was one of the best wrestlers in the world. Uh, is that how you kind of perceive that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of mis- misunderstood my match with AJ because I thought I was good. Um, it turns out he is just the absolute best. But, I mean, really, like, I mean, I remember being in the TNA locker room back early, early years of wrestling and just seeing him and thinking, like, my God, like, I just need to be more like him. Like, I need to be in that kind of shape. I need to be this kind of athleticism, that kind of hard-hitting. Um, be- because, you know, to-, to me, there was, like, no holes in his game. And, um, I mean, we just, 
get, getting to wrestle him, uh, I had a couple matches at IWA Mid-South, so we sort of had a little bit of groundwork already laid. And I mean, I'll, to be honest, I can't remember the, the one specifically, like the ones we had in ROH, other than like the Rana from the highlight reels. You know, I mean, I, and I remember the gear, you know what I mean? I can remember the dusty Philadelphia locker room. But, you know, you just like, I, you know, that was, it was really, I mean, that had to have been 15 years ago for me, at least. But, I mean, just, you know, that the just going toe-to-toe with AJ, because the, when I got into wrestling, I had very, a lot of, like, insecurity. Like, I wasn't tough enough or strong enough or I wouldn't have the gas tank. So I just became really obsessed with like exercise and training and training and training. And um, like that first time you get in the ring with AJ and you start chain wrestling and it gets really aggressive, really fast. It's like, all right, you know, when you feel like you can hang with him in that and then, you know, you, you get through that and you're still like able to stand up and move. Uh, it does give you a little bit of confidence. Like it, it does make you feel like, hey, you know, now I'm ready to, you know, give me Austin Aries, give me all these other guys that are that are the top guys. Um, yeah, I mean, you just, he, he's one of, uh, like it, I think they call Tanahashi like once in a generation and like AJ is definitely that for us. I mean, in terms of just guys that go out there and work hard, they're not, they're not trying to do somebody else's thing. They're literally doing themselves. And that's like, what's so special about what he does. He's not imitating old school wrestlers. He's really, uh, a unique, a unique creative performer which I think kind of gets lost now because so many people ended up imitating or wrestling like him. It seems like he might be less original somehow, but really he's like just this purveyor of the business. And I, I don't mean to just uh, harp all over him, but man, I mean, he's, if, if he hadn't been curating that scene, um, the, the rise of ring of honor wouldn't have been there. You know, just this so much, uh, if you have, guys raising the level of the business it forces everybody else to rise up to it uh, you guys know that with the european scene in the uk like everybody all the wrestlers are on top of each other so everybody has to get better faster everybody's hungrier because there's more mouths to feed there's more pe- people around and it's just like it, when people raise that level up like aj comes over to the uk gives everybody their best match everybody knows we have to level it up and i mean you know for for me one of those other moments that brought me back into my like love of wrestling was going back uh, to Rev Pro after my WWE run and like working with Will and just at that time where AJ was IWGP champ. I mean, he was carrying so many organizations on his back and like being the lifeblood of the business. I mean, it's just um, every every time I got to wrestle him. So those ones I did in Ring of Honor then, and I also did it right when I went back to Ring of Honor again. It's like yeah, I would take. I basically got to the the. Uh, the highlights of being in Ring of Honor are always like the opponents you get. You talk about AJ. It, it, seriously, where you, the way you were just talking about them, I was trying, was trying to think, and I don't think like like uh, Dragon's absolutely amazing, but even he doesn't have the lineage that AJ has. Like every company he's been in, he's took the company to the next level. You talk about Ring of Honor, like he was he was the main attraction in TNA for years. Uh, he went to he went to Japan and again was the main attraction in Japan. And then there was that question, of course, of him being able to go to uh, WWE. And the moment he went there, what, within about three or four months, he was a WWE champion. Like, really, he's been able to go everywhere and just kind of excel and change and adapt. And yeah. really, as you said, just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, what, what, a, what a body of work. And, I mean, he was just, like, the amount of matches that guy would do. I mean, we do, like, I think you were at that BOLA 
uh, and AJ was there. He, like, on Friday, he did the bowl match. On Saturday, he flew out to, like, you know, Pennsylvania, worked somebody else in a main event, flew back on Sunday, worked two more times. It's just like, oh, maybe one more time. But it's just like, my God, like, not only did, was he, he, he was doing all the travel, all the hard stuff, and still having these crazy matches. It's just like, that really blows it away for me. I mean, it's easy to have one good match a month if that's all you're doing. Uh, and it's probably a smarter way to do it. But, man, he was just, even with a neck hurting and all these things, it's sort of like, uh, it's always been inspiring to me, that, that work ethic that he had. You talked about Dragon Gate a little bit. So, like, you said that came about through MySpace, which is so funny when you think about it now nowadays. Um, but how did you find adapting to Japan? How did you find, for one, being able well, going out there? I guess it's a little different now because the internet and other stuff. Uh, is a little bit more prominent and easier to adapt. But how did you find those early days in Japan? Oh, my God. I mean, it was paradise. It was heaven for me. I had never felt like a pro wrestler. I'd never, I always just felt like a, a pretender who was just like I would work my job and then I would wrestle on the weekends. And even though I didn't, you know, like I just wasn't committed. It was like that. that's when I jumped all in. And it was with like the highest level of professionalism from the Dragon Gate organization uh, the highest level of like training because it came from like the you know the Ultimo system and then you know the SEMA and Dragon Kid and like the the T2P generation. I mean it was I I and the way they're I mean like the first show I did with them I was just like blown away and then we did like Hakata Star Lanes and I had never seen a crowd this wild and crazy and I like I did like. Oh, I don't remember. Some like wheelbarrow backflip to my feet and I had never heard a crowd go so wild. And I mean, I just knew these guys had it. They had it down to a science. And like, you know, I'm like, I've always believed in education. Like I've been more into learn knowledge than money. And that was like the biggest source of wealth for me is how much uh, uh, knowledge was there. And I mean, like every day we'd be in the ring before the shows uh, training and then I mean, I learned, like, I didn't even know how to stretch at that point. And, like, I would learn how to stretch from Mochizuki, who's, like, who's still one of the best wrestlers going. And there, there were just, like, a lot of guys that mentored me when they didn't have to. It just, um, I fell in love with Japanese culture. I mean, I'm still obsessed with it. I still use Japanese phrases in my daily life. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just, it was a huge, it was the first time I ever got to really look at my own culture from somebody else's perspective like just seeing the way I had lived like my entire life, not realizing that there's a whole other universe here. And there's guys who are like literally identical, like my identical twin born in the similar year, similar. We both love wrestling, the same kind of wrestling, but we like grew up speaking different languages with like, you know, they, they eat completely different things. And it was sort of just like this mass equalizer where I realized, man, this world's a big place and there's, um, you know, a lot of there's just I, I, I couldn't have imagined um, a, a world like this because, you know, I, you know, you knew I grew up in the mid in Missouri. I hadn't met a Japanese person my entire life. And I mean, except through wrestling. And like that's, you know, the amazing thing about wrestling is that all of a sudden I get a MySpace message. And before you know it, I'm on an American Airlines flight to Osaka and I'm going to Kobe, Japan and, um, you know, in gear that, ba- you know, like. The, the thing about Dragon Gate is they had the best costumes. 
And so when I got I got over there, it wasn't long before I was saying, hey, who makes the gear? Like, where can I get kick pads? Like, where can I get some new tights? And like, I just wanted to become one of them. I really like I was proud of like being in Ring of Honor and all these places. But for me, like that, that Dragon Gate was going to was beyond any my, my original goal when I started wrestling. Like when you talked about the goals, you said my original goal was to be the jobber of this indie fed that I watched. Like they had one jobber character. And I was like, if someday if I train hard enough and I work out my entire life, I can one day get to be that guy. Um, so I really didn't have like these goals of Japan because it truly felt un, it, it felt completely out of reach for, for me. Um, but once I made that connection to Japan, I sort of wanted that to be my life. It must've been like such a good fit as well. Cause you talk about like kind of looking at those, those matches and those like you look at Tori Mon and watching the stuff with Delirious, but also that kind of that early 2000 style which you became accustomed to doing really was a hybrid of the junior heavyweight style that was coming out of Japan. So to be able to go there into a system that were almost trying to re innovate that style that they'd created again must have been something you know, to be there from grassroots like absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, at that time, we really just focused on, like, you know, Duran Gate wasn't trying to, like, compare itself to Noah, who at that time was just so... Noah was awesome. I mean, they were having great stuff. And, you know, Duran Gate had a friendly relationship with them. But the the cool thing was, is, like, they were just doing their own thing, which was these intricate, like, entrances with full dance numbers. We had a crowd of 50, 60, even 70% women at times. Um, it was just, it's this wild, like people would say, how do you guys do these crazy moves and this and that? And I, for me, it took, it took a while to fit, to learn all the techniques, but once you do, and you train them hard enough and your disciplines there, I was like, yeah, I could do this seven days a week. You know, we could hit, I'm climbing up to the top rope, hitting a run off here every night and feeling good about it and taking down the ring with a smile on my face right after the show. I mean, that, that was really just like. I look, I I just really look back on those times with such fondness, and I mean, getting to be on tour with like Jack and Roddy, and then we do these big events with called Wrestle Jam with Japan with other Mexican, Japanese, and American wrestlers. Uh, you know, we were just it, it was it was fun times, being proud of the work you were doing, but there was no like you could couldn't really watch your matches after they happened. They were just, they happened and they were over with. There was no going back and watching the tape because you couldn't like, you know, you wouldn't get a tape till for forever later, you know, many, you know, basically never. So there's a lot of this stuff that like, I'll see a ring of honor clip pop up and I'll say, Oh my God, I don't remember this match that I had. And it's really fun to go down memory lane because some of these matches, you just do them and they're done with. And then you're, you're already worried about tomorrow's show. Uh, uh, so it was just the, the the thing about Dragon Gate was the quantity of matches we had. The matches had to have the highest quality. No errors were, literally no errors were allowed. And then we would do it five nights a week, uh, you know, in every little town in Japan. Uh, and that just gave me the taste of what touring life and what it's like, what real professional wrestling is. And after that, I was like, I never want to work a regular job again. And wh- how can I move my stuff into storage so I can, like, just live on the road and not pay rent and just float between Dragon Gate and Ring of Honor, my my parents' house and my girlfriend's house. And that was sort of where I was at um, for about, you know, a year and a half, two years. How many tours did you do with Dragon Gate? 
maybe 14 or 15 uh, the first time. And then, I, I mean, plenty. We, I would go for like two or three weeks at a time, usually, and then come back, do 10 days, do a Ring of Honor show or two, and then head back. And what job were you doing before that? Because you say like this made you decide like, oh, I never want to have a regular job again. What job were you doing before you uh, decided to go to Japan? Yeah, well, I mean, I basically worked in like a metal shop, sweeping and just being like generally the lowest guy on the totem pole. <laughs> then I got a job. Um, but I mean, I really like I lived this life of such minimal spending. You know, I mean, I didn't. There, there was just. That, that was the trick, you know, I mean, at that time, your cell phone bill was only 20 bucks a month or 30 bucks a month. And that was, I mean, other than car, car insurance that, you know, I really didn't have a lot of bills. So it, it was just like, make sure you sold some T-shirts and some eight by tens. Well, you know, and when I go to Dragon Gate, I would even like I would make buttons. And, you know, I mean, you're you're pretty good at the merch game. And and at that time, I was, you know, count. All that, so I had all my buttons and stickers used to drag gate gear and basically make a buck but you know i didn't need much all i needed was some protein sh- that was all i was obsessed with was making enough money to like get a protein shake so i could just get a little bit stronger and and it, 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 well i mean the dragon gate locker room was all about like amino acids protein shakes hard work and plucking your eyebrows and like like making sure you look good for the show and you were fit and healthy and i mean it was a great like it's just a great atmosphere and a really healthy place to develop as a young wrestler. There's a lot to develop as a young wrestler. Dragon Gate was just absolutely the best, one of the best things. From like my friend there, I mean, it's like Dragon Gate's like beyond, not just like uh, a part of my life through wrestling. It's like a part of my life through like my family and my world. You know, they, people always want to be like, "Yeah, we're family." Like you know, WWE told me we're family, you know, five thousand times, but I, you know. I just to make work for less money or whatever, uh, but like at Dragon Gate, like I mean, we really felt it. They treated like it's just like like I, I like small businesses. I like home style. I like family style things. I don't think I, I don't think wrestling's more important if it happens in front of more people. It's neat, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean brand that happens in front of less or that's you know just generally you know independent or more of an offshoot of the mainstream i you know i think that has just the same intrinsic value as wrestlemania and uh you know dragon gate's kind of where i took that because in before in the u.s it was all for like all and this and that and like it, yeah, I, was reading the, not, I was reading i was reading delirious's wrestling observer newsletter back in the day and just always trying to find out oh what was the big houses what was the draws like, what were the financials behind it all and um you know i always thought that like that that part matters but you know in in the end to, to to for pros in our experience like it it's just as important you know at the tokyo dome as it bfw did was the decision then to go to we was that you kind of making a financial decision no Definitely not. I I went because the the quest for knowledge rolls on. I mean, where else could you get Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson to like 
talk to you about wrestling and like the you know wwe has the in jamie noble they have the the brilliant minds locked in there's no you know at, at, a, at a certain point and i mean when you get like i never when i started wrestling wcw was around and i thought if anything i'd be in that cruiserweight division that would be like my high-end goal and if not no big deal like i would certainly never be in wwe because it's just not what they do um and so somehow like i was in dragon gate I used like uh, a payphone to check my cell phone messages back home. So after dialing 16 digits and then another 32 digit code <laughs> about five times because I screwed it up, um, I was able to get, you know, call my cell phone. You push pound, whatever, and then you get to your messages. And I get a message Hey, this is over from WWE. Do you want to come to a tryout weekend? And I'm just like, What on earth? Like, oh my God, I got to call this guy back. Uh, this is insane. Uh, but of course, it was like 3 a.m. in the U.S. at the time. So I just called him back and he said, come do these tryouts uh, and see what happens. And I mean, I can there's a long version of the tryout story and a short one. But basically, I did my little week of tryouts and John Laurinaitis, I waited around and waited around to get his attention. And he said, yeah, um, you know, you're a good kid, but we're not hiring guys your size right now. And I said, OK. Drag it. Well, no worries. Thanks for thanks for letting me know. You know, um, and you know, I had my next hand, and I I'll be wrestling for WWE. And two weeks later, in the mail, my mom's like, "Hey, you got something from WWE? You know, maybe it's a check or something." <laughs> Nobody called me to tell me I was getting it. It just like showed up. I called Mike Bucci, and he said, "Yeah, I I'm I'm leaving this position." But I got you on as like as a last second thing. Like we snuck you through the machine. Like somehow they they snuck me in. And he's like, "Do you want to go to Florida or do you want to go to Kentucky?" Uh, and I, you know, I'm from the Midwest, so I just said, "Just yeah, um, because I can just drive there." Uh, but I need to finish kind of finish this last tour of Dragon Gate, and I've got my like last Ring of Honor show. He said, "Sure, do that." And um, yeah, you know, that's sort of kind of how it happens. But yeah, so I went there more like. Because basically, because Paul London and Jimmy Yang were like, "No, man, you, you need to come." Like, no, you, if you get a chance to come here, you have to do it. Like, th- like because uh, it's just—I mean, it's the highest level of professionalism. It's just the—you know—it's the, the the highest kingdom in the sport. And uh, so, yeah, they they kind of convinced me, like, hey, you know, just because you feel like you you wouldn't fit in or whatever, like, you this is an adventure worth going on. And um, yeah, I mean, so then I then I went to WWE and got uh, you know then that's what got me signed to OVW. But yeah, it was a it was a go go on. No, it was just a crazy time in wrestling at that time. There was a lot of turmoil going on, and it was just man, it was completely different world than it is now. I was going to say in regards to kind of like OVW. And you said you had to kind of they said, oh, do you want to come to Florida? Do you want to come to Kentucky? I was going to ask you about that because I know that you were there during the transition period where they fully switched from OVW to FCW. So I was wondering how you went to the one and not the other. And I love, again, how it all came down to you being able to still live at home and then drive down to Kentucky. I love how it came down to that mindset that you seem to have had all the way through. What's easier? Yeah, well, I mean, it was like going to Florida was scary and I didn't really know anybody there. But in OVW, so Punk had just been signed. He was in OVW. Uh, there, there was like Colt Cabana, Ace Steel. So there was sort of my Midwest crew. 
of guys already there. And so like, I knew I could crash on Cabana's couch for a couple of weeks before I was able to find a play, you know? So I just had a, had the support system there. So I, I really went where like, I would be more comfortable not knowing that they were planning on shutting that down and going there. But OVW was great. was, I mean, had, was great for me and horrible at the same time as, as some hard experiences are, especially when you're coming from a different world. I was just coming from a different world where wrestling was entirely different, you know? And, uh, so it was a bit of a crash landing there, but I, I eventually found my feet and was able to get, get a lot out of my just five months, six months that I had in Kentucky. And then you fully shipped up to uh, FCW? Yeah, then I headed down to FCW um, kind of before it was even – the building was finished, before they had TV, before anything. Um, and then that when I, I that was when I – you know, I sort of had a reputation of being a good hand. I've been OVW champion, so I, I, I was pretty over there. But starting in Florida was like a restart, starting all over. Um uh, but that's when I got like my first opportunity, like when I realized they thought I was, when I realized that I had a little bit of, like, like they called me out of nowhere, said, Hey, we need you to go to Las Vegas because Floyd Mayweather and the big show are working on the WrestleMania match. They need a, you know, a body double. They need somebody to throw around. And I mean, like for me, I thought this would be the only assignment I would ever get in WWE. And I was super ecstatic. It was like, uh, it was like in March of 08, maybe, I think. Um, yeah, that was like the first time I I realized that, boy, like, I'm at least on the list of people that, you know, they trust. They're, they're confident in. Yeah, they're confident in. And, like, for, for me, that's all, that was sort of always the goal. Like, I just wanted to go to WWE and, like, earn the respect of the wrestlers. Uh, like, I just wanted to, like, you know, be, be amongst the, the guys I really respected there. And that was, like, a really good sign. Um but, like, it didn't really seem like I was going to go anywhere in FCW. It was, it was just, you know, kind of the Wild West. So, um, you know, get, getting an assignment like that and, like, getting to work on WrestleMania. And then I think WrestleMania was in Orlando. Wait, where was WrestleMania that year? Yeah, I think it was in Orlando. And I got to, like, you know, we were just backstage at it. But that was just, I mean, but, you know, with, <laughs> with Dragon Gate, I mean, I had done Kobe World. And so, like, I don't want to say I was, like, arrogant, but I, I brought in that same backyard to indie arrogance I had when I went from, like, Dragon Gate to whether it was OVW or even WWE. I was just like, yeah, like, this is, like, what wrestling's supposed to be. Like, there's supposed to be a bunch of, like, good wrestling every night, people going crazy. Like, I, I, I was sort of, like, hooked on the, 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 you know, every single night, loud music, bright lights adrenaline rush like that was that was sort of my, my lifestyle by then i was quite accustomed to it and it was just um being at wrestlemania and like just getting to high five floyd after the match and um really starting to feel like i could like i actually had something to contribute um you know that that, that like my you know what i'm the the way i'm approaching this works too even though at obw like you know you just we just got broken down and told everything we knew was wrong <laughs> So it was like that was sort of like a big confidence build for me, um, and and then the next big confidence build I had like was I, I had a phone call with this indie wrestler, who was like, "Hey, bro, can you get me a dark match?" And I had been, this is when I was in Florida, and I had been wrestling for uh, WWE for like six or eight months or something, and I thought to myself, "Screw you, buddy! Like I've never had a dark match. I, I want one," um, and that that 
that phone call where this guy was like, give me a, give me a dark match. And I, I was like, hell no, I deserve one more than you. Um, he really, trust me, he's not that great. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, it disturbed me to think that he, like, he, he was like, I, like, I could get him a dark match when I couldn't get one for myself. And so that was what changed my, like, I was just trying to do a good job where I was at. But that inspired me to try and get to to that level where you would be backstage at the real show. Um, and that that's sort of like when I changed my course to like trying to win at FCW to trying to get on to WWE, really. Like, I love how you say that, because, again, I guess it comes down to the, a, the arrogance of this this guy thinking, OK, I'm going to I'm going to message you and try to get myself a dark match for then. At the flip side, I guess that arrogance of, or confidence from him kind of then made you go, "Well, if he's got this confidence, of he yeah. thinks he deserves a dark match, maybe maybe I should have this confidence." Uh, you know how many delusional people in, are in wrestling that like they think they're the second coming of The Rock or Stone Cold, Mister McMahon. They literally think they 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 think that they have the confidence of that. And you know, I have never been blessed with extremely high confidence. I've really just I'm like an insecure person from the Midwest who would rather just like prove it then tell you about it and like this guy was just so bold like he thought in his head if they just saw him in that ring boy oh boy they'd be just begging to give him a contract and sign him and i'm just like i'm under contract and i've never had that opportunity it's like i think i need that opportunity like, because that's sort of been how i like how did i get to ring of honor well i showed up and i wrestled like how did i get to tns showed up and i wrestled like so i'm just gonna show up and try and wrestle and luckily for me the match, like I, I weasel my way up to a show because I, you know, have my weaselly tactics, and I just ended up at a show uh, backstage on a like a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Even though they basically told, even though Carano basically told me not to, but then they changed their mind and said, "Oh, hey, you can just come backstage. Like we're not going to pay you, but you can just come and you know see what it's like backstage." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." And then I, I wrestled Jamie in like a you know dark, dark. You know, we just during the wrestler round. Um, did that, and then the next day I wrestled him in the official dark, and it was a great match. Like, pff, I mean, I, I wish I had that video of that one, because uh, you know, of course, he's just the spectacular vet wrestler who carried me to an awesome match. And then the next day, Matt Seidel wrestled Shelton Benjamin on ECW. <laughs> you know, it was bang. And then the next week, Evan Bourne was came uh, debuted on ECW, and I was off to the races. I was about, I was about right. So I like I was going to ask you about how why you were Matt Seidel, and then it became Evan Ball a week later. But just from that conversation, it was almost like it wasn't supposed to happen. You literally just swindled your way into a dark match, which in turn swindled your way into a into a TV taping. Matt, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always say like I called myself up or I booked myself on that one. Um, but it, it, I, I really did, and I mean, but it was just like my idea was. I'll just keep doing this until I get an opportunity. I didn't expect it to just basically all unfold in one weekend. But at the time, WWE was, I mean, there was, they were trying to do a, make a lot of content. ECW wasn't the most like, I mean, it was such an afterthought. They, they had me wrestle as Matt Seidel one week and then realized it. And I mean, we didn't change my name to Evan Bourne until, you know, 10 minutes before, you know, literally the second before I did a promo, um, before, you know, right, right before it, but we were able to get all that settled. And I mean, they put me on live of it basically two weeks later, I got called into the office and told I was on live events. And then I was on every live event after that, you know, whether it was raw, uh, 
we would do like the super shows where Raw and SmackDown would come together. I mean, I, I was just, I went from being like basically an afterthought in developmental to being on live events in basically a month. It was, it was pretty wild. Where did the name Evan Bourne come from? Again, it was done like so quickly. Where did it come from? Yeah, the the writers gave me a bunch of names. I think from some write some names I had pitched previously, um, and I was like, they came to me with like literally. I think Jason Jordan was one of the names. They were they were all bad. They were all like alliterations or corny, campy, typical developmental names. Uh, and I was like, please, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. Can I please have ten minutes to come up with something? And I'm like, I was scared. Like, I mean, there's because I didn't have a great support system on the road at WWE at that time because I didn't know many people. And um, but but Punk was there and I went to him and I said, man, I don't know what to do. They're trying to give me all these bad names. Like, what what do I do? And he's like, "Uh, I really don't know how to help you, but I know somebody who can. And he passed me over to Joey Styles, who took me into his office and was just like, just give me some names, name some characters from movies that you like that you could relate to or whatever. And eventually we got to Evan Bourne and we might have pitched like Eric Bourne and maybe one or two other names. Uh, they got that all cleared. I finished the promo uh, and then Colin Delaney was standing right next to me when I finished my Evan Bourne promo, which, oh boy, not good. Um, he goes, oh, cool! You can be Evan Bourne, like Airborne, and I was like, oh, well, that works out really well. <laughs> so it was very good um, fortune. Like I just the name felt right, and then all of a sudden we had a nickname for it, and then you know, Dad Evan Bourne was created. How did you uh, how did you find that time on like the live events and on ECW again? You say it was felt like an afterthought to go from like. Japan and Dragon Gate where everything was like bright lights and trying to put on the best wrestling you possibly could. How do you find just how do you find ECW? Oh man, ECW was great, but like you know, you only do one TV match a week. So that was, was basically 0% of the wrestling I was doing. Like, you know, it would probably factor in for 12% of the wrestling I was doing every week. Um because I would go out on the live events. I mean, I first started my first assignment was Kali. But it wasn't long after that I was getting like, you know, good matches. And then it wasn't then I was basically getting to wrestle Chavo Guerrero on every live event for as long as we wanted for to do whatever we felt like. Um, and real, and um, that's where like my like decision to go to WWE, I was like never more sure that I made the right choice because I was getting the, the lineage of knowledge just how I wanted it to like, I mean like that, that's what I came there for. And, and really to be proud of all these matches that I was having Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, when I was doing ECW, we would have Monday house shows. I remember we did one in like Asheville, North Carolina, not, there was like 750 people there. Uh, and then on Tuesday we'd go do SmackDown and, uh, I'd usually get a pretty good match. We did some crazy ones. I did some crazy six mans, uh, unfortunately, I just remember that time I got hurt and then like just completely took all the wind out of my all, all the mo a lifetime of momentum uh, in an instant. But um, yeah, they, I mean, they, these were these were really good times. And um, it was the right amount of pressure because you felt like you you were sort of I was in a position that was pretty good for me, a place to grow and develop and to be on a brand that was like uh, for up and comers and fe- kind of featured what we loved. And I can 
tell you that when I became my the like the teenage high school years obsessed with wrestling, I was the biggest ECW fan. I mean, I drove all over the country to watch ECW. I was on the ECW street team. I mean, I loved super crazy to Jerry Taz, RVD, Jerry Lynn, just incredible Lance Storm. I was like, I was like psychotically obsessed with ECW, the Dudleys. I mean, I was like, I was like, like uh, in in the U.S. Friday night in the Midwest is like high school football, like it's a religion, and everybody goes to that. Well, my Friday night was like ECW on TNN because ECW just got a TV show, and I was like obsessed with watching. When before, like you could only catch the pay per views, um, you know, I, that like so being a part of the, the ECW brand then extension, you know, it felt cool. Like it was like it, it seemed more like where I belonged than anywhere else on WWE at the time. And yeah, I it was, it was a good fit, and it was a great place to like meet uh, a lot of the writers that are in charge now of WWE. They were around then at this time, and they, they kind of like got me started and gave me good direction, and I got a lot of attention from people that were like really cared about putting on a good show and a good product. And I, 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 at ECW, I had a lot of people trying to help me, trying to help me rise and grow. They really saw me as like a developing talent, like a lot, probably a lot like some of these NXT guys now have like, like where you really get the attention of triple H, you get the attention of Shawn Michaels. And I mean, I'll never forget the first time I got advice from Shawn Michaels, which was me just, I happened to be in gorilla when Miz was in Gorilla getting advice from Shawn Michaels, and I just got to hear it. And I, you know, you never forget that. And it was just basically about how baby faces need to do more, more action, work harder. And I mean, like that, that stuck to me because as a baby face, everybody's like, yeah, let's get to the heat. Let me kick your ass. And I'm thinking, uh, I heard Shawn Michaels say, hey, I got to do a little bit more up front before we get to that part. And um, for me, that just made a huge difference because I always felt like, oh, you know, my job was just to get my ass kicked. And then overhearing that like bit of wisdom, uh, from HBK was like, okay, you know, hey, he he fought, he was fighting for the baby faces, like he was fighting to for for something that I wasn't sure, you know. And then like um, being in ECW just really just late raised the level of everything that I was at. Like I would like stand around backstage, you know, going from indie shows to this level of production. You see all the boxes backstage, how they hook up, how they wire their local internet and stuff like. I mean, I was just fascinated by all the people there, from the comms people to the, to jet, you know, to the people making the stages. It, like everything about ECW blew my mind. The fact that they could disassemble the stage, reassemble it in the next town the next day, and then disassemble it and then reassemble a new stage on Monday and Tuesday. It was just like um, the scale I could have never imagined, even in my like. Because you can't until you see it. It's like imagining what a billion dollars is. Like we just don't get the difference between a million and a billion. Because to me, you know, ten thousand bucks is a million. But you know, like you, to go from that scale of a thousand people at your show every time to ten thousand people at your shows every time is just like the infrastructure it takes and the caliber of people that have to be around at all times. Like it just requires requires like really hardworking people at all levels and you know that was like what wwe offered in spades man there's just like i would meet these people like the tech guys and i'd be like they i'd show my phone with a cracked screen and they'd be like oh, i can fix that screen and i was like you've got to be kidding me you can fix the screen on an iphone oh yeah 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 no problem we do it for i did it for so and so last week she just got me a gift card and you know we just you know no problem it was just um cool meeting people outside of wrestling that were also like extraordinary in their field.
I always think about it when you kind of think about stuff like that. It's like, like McDonald's, for example. It started off as that one shop, and now there's like a head of McDonald's who then has all these, you know, managers under them that are country managers. But underneath those country managers, you have like national managers, and underneath national managers, there's regional managers. And I just think to myself, how did they ever put that infrastructure in place in the first place for it to exist on such a big scale? And it's exactly the same when you talk about all those bits and pieces on a Raw or SmackDown or ECW. It's like, at some yeah. point you said, we need this tech guy and we need this guy that's in charge of all this tech and we need a, a group or a, uh, a part that's in charge of all this. And it just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how many indie shows were you at where somebody botched the music? And, like, you go to a WWE show, they do not F up. There is no mistakes there. Not, like, they don't miss one technical detail. The sound's there, the audio. Like, there's so many things that are in the air transmitting the satellite. Across, like, you know, and they, they're they flawless. And, like, that's why I expect the wrestlers to be flawless. Like, that's why I expect guys to go out there and perform perfectly. Because uh, everybody else is doing their job. Like, that pyro guy doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, people don't mess up. And, it, like, you know, if you've got this amazing ship and everybody, like everybody has to do their part. Like I, even for me, like the scale of which that they did like charity events. I remember like I did like my first school speaking engagement and they like picked us up in a limo and all these things. And then we did that engagement. Then we did radio stations. Then we went straight to raw. It was just like this very finely tuned instrument that they, like I was being worked into, um, it, it like just it like I said that scale was staggering and like it kind of made, made you feel insignificant but I mean it was really uh, extraordinary to be a part of. You doubt, you talked on it a little bit. Knowing you said about your uh, your injury and kind of having your wings taken out of your sail, was it a real difficult? Was that your first big injury? Yes. So yeah, was that, that was like, the first time I'd ever gone to zero. Yeah. Yeah, was that like especially you being like kind of like pulls the walls for those couple months as well and you'd uprooted your entire life away from your family to florida was that a real hard time kind of dealing with that first big injury yeah i I really i mean i really struggled coming back from it um yeah because i really did like not have a support system and i wasn't even in developmental and i didn't feel very welcome there and they didn't really have anybody taking care of talent at that time there was no like it was take care of yourself mentality very much you know and i you know you you think you can return to that state but like i mean when you put in 25 years of like like crazy work and training your feet to to do these special things like you can't just get it back in nine months or whatever it takes you know and um just dealing with the pain was also like a big significant factor because you always have to be on your feet and walking around is just like it's just a challenge. Um, and nowadays, I think there's a lot more techniques on how to train and do therapy. But man, I really didn't. I, I was inexperienced in that. I mean, I was as, now I'm a master of it because I've been doing it for ten, the last ten years. But but up until then, I didn't really know. I was just um, blind by how lucky I had been by being healthy my whole life, you know, and just bouncing off of things and never breaking until the day, you know, it broke. And that was really like, I almost feel like there's like an electrical circuit that got shot. And then, you know, my foot wasn't getting the, whether it's the blood supply or the, the connection wasn't there. And 
anytime you do anything in wrestling, it always starts with the floor up. You work from your toe, heel, foot, all the way up your back chain. Like that's where your movement comes from. And, and you know, being somebody who is wholly dependent on his movement, not so dependent on his brain, that really forced me to like change paths and say, hey, all right, well, I can't really count on my physical body so much now. We're going to have to refine the mind and start thinking about improving my um, verbal dexterity instead of my physical dexterity because my physical dexterity just is at a standstill. Uh, and, you know, just as, to this day, I mean, I'm still my, – my life is nothing but physical rehab, which, you know, it sucks, but I would rather be doing tons of rehab and wrestling than not doing either. Um did you did you rush back from that injury? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, this, I mean, everybody was afraid of getting fired. You know, we're all on the on the edge, and you just want to get. I, I was tag teaming with Rey Mysterio on Monday Night Raw. Of course, I wanted to get back to work. My God, like, like I could like, and you just drop off the face of the earth. There, nobody calls, nobody writes. You just disappear. You're just gone. You you're traveling on the road every week with all these guys. You're super close, and then it's just like pfft, nothing. You know, everybody's working, everybody's busy, and you're just like a uh, home alone or whatever. And it's, you know, that was a big disconnect. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to get back on the road, get back with the boys, get back to work. I mean, I had never not like every single Friday and Saturday from the time I was 17 on was occupied with pro wrestling. And then, you know, then I started adding weekdays. So I really didn't know how to live at home. Like I didn't know how to go to the grocery store. I mean, I lived on the road. I didn't know how to make my bed i lived in hotel rooms i didn't you know that was it was it you know so it was really like a big difference sort of like how things have changed now except uh in my mature age i am much better like i i love the i enjoy the routine of being home um because the discipline of being on the road and the discipline of being home are completely different it's like on the road you have to work harder to find gyms you have to work harder to find nutrition and then all of a sudden you're home and you're like yeah i mean there's food down the street i could do this there's a gym but uh you know i'm I'm home. My foot hurts. I don't really want to get up. I don't, I don't want to start walking because then my foot hurts. Maybe I should just stay home. And you just kind of like you can go from like being in a really good positive cycle that's like beneficial for you to kind of like more of a negative cycle that's not as serving to to your goals. It's crazy to think about that now because my only my only kind of experience with it is, of course, over the last two years. And now with the performance center, anyone who gets hurt. You kind of got your you got your rehab team. There, most people are in every single day, seeing those those physios and those athletic trainers, and they have like a plan in place to get them there and to get them here, and it's step by step, so they can kind of see from the moment they come out of surgery or whatever, or the moment they get hurt, they've got a clear cut plan to get them back to the ring. But to hear that and to hear there's like no kind of support, there was no support network back then. That's just that sounds heartbreaking, man. Yeah, and I mean like this, I. At the time, that we the doctors that we had had replaced other doctors that had maybe suggest you know, the idea was that the the wrestlers were here to play. We weren't here to get benched. Um, now the idea is the the wrestlers' safety is paramount, which I think is nice. But when, where I kind of was at at that time, it was more about the show going on and and keep going and pushing through. Um, so that's what we all did. I mean, I wrestled like. Later, the, the next injury I had after the ankle was my shoulder, but I, I wrestled for six months with the torn till I just I couldn't put my bag in the overhead compartment anymore. Just like carrying my bags every day was just so painful and miserable. Like I just had to just give up and say, "Listen, I need to have this. Like I can't go on any longer." 
which is like insane because I'll see guys that they get hurt and then the next day they go and have surgery. I'm like, wow, that's great because they actually um, know how to take care of themselves. Like I just really didn't, um, you know, you, you sort of think these things will never happen to you. You know, you just really do. And if you train hard, you've worked hard your whole life. You don't expect these injuries. You're working with trained pros. You're working with the best in the world. You just don't expect it. And um, if you don't readjust and recalibrate and you're trying to, like, do the same thing you were doing before, like, it's just – it's really – injuries are a really good time to, like, slow it down and, and, and get a count. But it's good – those are good times to get that support system around you because, um, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't getting – I didn't get any phone calls from the doctors, the trainers. And if anything, I got cleared by my doctors to wrestle before I was – you know, when, when I was able to walk, but way before I was able to wrestle. And it was just – it made it difficult because you, you would, they would tell you you're clear, but – you wouldn't, I never felt like I had like my ninja abilities back. So what I would do is just tape it up really thick and then just go in there and wrestle. Yeah. There's, there's such a, it's such a, a hard thing to kind of deal with, especially I was lucky when I hurt my shoulder and had to have surgery in like 2016 that I ended up getting a, uh, a physio that was, was quite averse when it came to like rugby players and stuff like that. Whereas I know that like Lycos, for example, had, uh, had a different physio and I know that he came back and then again it happened again so I was lucky in the sense that she kind of made sure I was over prepared before I came back whereas I felt like again he was under prepared so it really is good now that WWE have these trainers in place that know the profession and know the sport because again if you only just got a doctor some of them are just gonna okay you and clear you to live everyday life not to do the extraordinary things that we're supposed to do in the ring yeah and I mean like back then the old training we were doing is like you would lift weights like that would be like your athletic training now people have like really enhanced like all oh, this agility training body weight training all this more intelligent ways of training um and for me at that time i didn't even have a ring where i felt comfortable to get in and train like and and i think if you're going to get back to wrestling in the ring you you just you can go to the gym and work out and lift weights but i don't really get it i mean it's great for your physical appearance but if you want to get good at wrestling and you want to get back to it you have to be wrestling and that way you build up the muscle toughness the the ability to take wrestling things because it's just it's its own thing and so you really have to be in the ring so that's why now like when i come back from injuries i've only been able to do it because i have my own school i feel comfortable i've got a good crew that to train with to, to you know start taking arm drag slowly and then build it up to full speed um and i'm not like so much worried about like I, I lift weights whenever I can, but uh, for me, it's more about getting the hours in and in the wrestling ring. And then that way I know I'll be confident in the ring and I'll be much less likely to get hurt. But I would just like go back from like barely being able to just start lifting weights, not really having any ring time and then just say, Oh, I'm back from an injury. Let's go. And then just like have Seamus beat my ass for 14 days straight in Europe. It's like not the best choice <laughs> to come back to, you know, but um, you know, I, <laughs> It's, you know, you only have one life and the way us wrestlers are, it's like, you want to get back out there. You want to get to the show. You don't want to be forgotten about. You want to be back in business. And it just feels like forever when you're sitting at home and the show goes on and they don't even mention you. And you're like, I got, I got to get back on this thing. Otherwise I'm going to be, you know, they're, they're just going to can me. Uh, with, uh, with you saying about the return and stuff like that, where, was the official return on TV? Was that the, the role with the gauntlet? 
Man, I have no idea. I, think I don't remember have, at I think all. It, I think it might have been right. I think that it's where it could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that you might have came back on the roll with the gauntlet. And I think it was the one with Orton. I think you literally came back and did the... I'm sure, Did you do the shooting star press spot into the RKO in the first night back? Oh, I have no idea. I don't think so. But may I mean, it was, you know, in that time frame. I, I, but yeah, no, dude, I have no clue. Yeah, I... You know, it was myself, just a Monday night to me. Because <laughs> I was thinking, I think myself, I was thinking, if that is the case, you've literally gone like the whole like, I need to get back out there, man. I need to get back out there. And then the third, the first thing is like, oh, you're against Orton, and then you're like, so I'm gonna do a shooting star press, and you're gonna catch me in the RKO. Yeah, I mean, like, I definitely came back feeling like I, I wanted to do, you know, I like, I don't know, I still wish I had done more. You know, there were. I did a lot on live events, but still, like on TV, I don't feel like I ever, you know, just went went wild. But you you got to have a dance partner, and for me, adapting my style and working with the dance partners I was given, I felt like I did I did a really good job of like filling into a role that was available and you know a good part of the storylines and great for the guys that I was working with. Uh, you know, but I really felt like even when I came back, I just, um, you know, I, I, I don't think I was, the, I don't think I was the same. I think I was still kind of missing a step or what, whatever, whatever it was, you know, it just wasn't the same, the same old, uh, airborne, but I, I still think the fan, you know, the fans were into it, but I, I felt like I was still working from a deficit, which just made me work harder. But at the same time, when the harder you work, if you're injured, it can kind of be a double-edged sword because you're working hard, but you're actually just for doing more damage. How did uh, how did departure from WWE come about? Yeah, I was uh, I broke my foot in a on a scooter accident. Pretty foolish, but uh, you know, just a right out on one of these scooters, scooter thing, and just just absolutely annihilated my foot. Uh, the same foot that I hurt earlier. Uh, so you know, it was like destroyed they've got this huge lump in it right now um so i was i guess i was on the road at that time and i was nxt had the developmental had moved to orlando and i was still in tampa here um so i got cleared by the doctors after about a year but i just didn't feel like i could wrestle so i kept training and kept trying to get back and never really felt healthy enough to return to action so they just kind of let me go after a year and eight months because I had been cleared by the doctors, but I kind of didn't think I was going to wrestle again ever. Um, so I started sort of organizing my life to not wrestle because I just, my, I, my foot wasn't going to heal, but it was never going to be the same. Um, then did, once WWE released me, I had a couple months off and during that time took a couple bookings, was excited to go back to Dragon Gate. I went back to Dragon Gate. My first match back, I tried to do, like, my step-up Rana, and my ankle just rolled on me. It went out, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm I'm back. Like, I'm not where I'd like to be. I st- you know what I mean? I wasn't able – you know, so the rest of the Dragon Gate Tour, I kind of had to, like, protect it. And it, it, was a, it was a tough time because I, I thought I could hang, and I kind of could hang with American wrestlers, but I just couldn't hang with the high speed of the Dragon Gate guys. Like, you just went from zero to 100 miles an hour – and uh, I just, my ankle physically just couldn't do it. Um, so I was, took a little bit more time off, another month or two. 
Um, during that time, that's when I went to Peru. I came back and I went to Battle of Los Angeles and Bola, and I was just like, oh my God, I just, I need to wrestle no matter what. Um, sort of, I just felt like my calling was just to be a part of wrestling again. Uh, and that, like, I was stopped trying to think about, oh yeah, I need to open up a business and do work and do, you know, I was like, no, I need to be wrestling and be involved with this. And then, like, from being at that PWG, that's like 2015 or 2016, I think. Um, then I went out to Rev Pro, and the scene there was like as hot as wrestling I've ever seen it. And I knew there was going to be this resurgence of wrestling, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I kind of didn't care if my foot worked or not, and modified my style and my approach, and uh, just slowly got back on the horse. And yeah, I'm just kind of. You know, what I do today is still try and recover from that same injury. That's why I sort of take um, limited, but like, I, I don't know if I could wrestle four or five times a week, but I certainly can do one or two a week and um, be able to walk without too much pain. Although, thank God, we've got these four wheeled rolling bags that can be like half crutch, half, <laughs> you know, gear carrying thing because. Without, I'm telling you, without my four wheel bag right now, if I wasn't able to lean on that, I wouldn't make it through these airports. You know, just it's 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 like a daily struggle for me with with the injury and like how much pain is it causing versus like you know training. Oh, if I well if I stop training, would it hurt more or less? And you know, it's just sort of at this point where I have a lot of ankle braces that I wear and. I, I just kind of juggle that, and if my foot hurts a lot, I'll take a day off, and if it's giving me permission to work, I'll be doing footwork and trying to jump rope. I love when you kind of talk about that resurgence of British wrestling, you kind of coming back and adapting stuff, because, and you spoke about your matches with Will, and how that kind of, like, really kind of made you kind of fall in love with wrestling again. I do remember seeing those matches, and thinking this wasn't the Matt Seidel that uh, left the Indies, and I mean this in a positive. I, I felt like you, when you came back and did those matches with Will, it felt like this was a world-traveled Matt Seidel that had learned everything and he was stepping in the ring with Will Ospreay as the veteran. And that's where I feel like you said you were trying to mentally get yourself more in the zone than you would physically. And I think that you really did that with those uh, series of matches you did with Will. Yeah, I mean, just like after the first time I worked with Will, he just re-inspired me. Saying, I mean, he's like an AJ they just inspire you to work harder to be better because you know like when when you when you're in when your timing's right with somebody when you're like speaking the same language you know that it's like all right the better i am the better this is going to be and if i don't if i'm not working hard then everybody'll think will's better than me so i better bust my ass <laughs> you know it's like um getting to take like going from being the guy that worked aj and looked good to being the the, the guy trying to like share what i've learned with other people like i not in like some big-headed way or like some intentional way it's just like the first time you i worked with will and i was like yeah what do you want to do for a high spot and he's like what do you mean and i'm like you know like the first little thing you want to do like that's kind of what we call that and he's like what you know it's just it was just special to like get to be i mean like even being like in Ring of Honor when I wrestled Pac for the first time when he was just like starting to come of age, it's just like those guys like inspire you because you know they like they've already seen what you do and they've raised it up to the next level and they're just trying to figure out how to put it all together. And yeah, I mean, I was like, man, I was so inspired 
working on promos, working on my gear. Like I just really had a resurgence. And at that time, like my foot was feeling better. My shoulder was healed. Like I was feeling healthy, like a warrior. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was just upset. I mean, like, you know, like, like I was back in the day, I had that childlike approach to it. And, um, that, I mean, that, that scene, I just knew wrestling was gonna like explode again. And I mean, I, I, at that time I was already like, man, how can I sign? How can I get, uh, somebody to give me money to start my own promotion? Because everybody here needs to be in front of an audience of millions, not hundreds. Like, like these people belong on TV and there's just not enough room in WWE for them to be on TV. And luckily WWE and Triple H and his infinite wisdom decided, how can we grow a business that already has two touring brands? How would you grow them? Make more money? Oh, make a third. And that, I mean, he basically used a lot of this talent here to create his own third brand that now tours internationally and like has sells its own TV shows. And then they created the next brand with, with like the NXT UK and cap, you know, that seems to me to be the capstone project of all the work that those guys were doing leading up to it. Now that they've got like a giant marketing machine behind them, uh, you know, the, you guys are becoming action figures and household names instead of just like, you know, obscure indie wrestling, which by the way, have equal value, but I always feel like uh, artists deserve to be paid for their work. And it's nice like seeing that happen because there was like, you know, limited jobs and there was times where like Americans coming over were referred to as imports in a negative fashion and imports in a positive fashion. You know, it just depends on which guys were looking at it. But I loved like the fiercely independent British mentality. Like we don't need these guys, you know, we we've got it on our own, which is like the mentality that, that raises wrestling. Like the, like, like whether it's defy or progress or PWG dragon gate, it's like that independent spirit of, you don't need to lean on, who's already popular it's like you can create your own special thing uh without that outside interference so i think like guys thought i was kind of coming as a wwe wrestler and for me i was i was always pretending to be one of those guys i was always an indie guy at heart i mean i'm so like back when i was in indie wrestling like you guys would be called sellouts for going to wwe nobody was saying congratulations or you deserve it there was no like good for you it was like sellout trainer like what you know, I didn't get much of a send off when I left Ring of Honor. I also had a concussion, but like, you know, bragging about going to WWE wasn't something you did leaving the Indies. You were just like, ah, who knows if this is even going to happen? I'm just going to move to Kentucky and see if they take me. But I don't want to like, you know, getting a. There was just no guarantees, man. It was just ah, uh, what a what a different what a different world. You've you've taken me so far down memory lane, man. It's wild. Yeah, it's, it's again as we speak about it. I just kind of it makes me realize that like you've been it so much longer than me, but even the scene for myself ten years ago is a completely different place to where I started out. So with that in mind, what what's next for you? Where do, where do you see you uh, yourself going next? Oh man, I see myself going to my dojo and just wrestling there because I control all elements of what wrestling is in that place. Uh, I, I really, I really love it. Um, I get like a special pride and joy of seeing young a- athletic wrestlers do things that I can't even do. I sort of started with like watching Ricochet kind of go from me and him tagging in New Japan to like going to NXT and me just being like, bro, you gonna do this. Like you're gonna do this. And then that first time he was on Raw, I'm like, they can never take you off Raw again once they 
see like that. They'll never be able to do it. And, you know, here he is still just killing it later. And um, so I, you know, I, I do have this, like, you know, I like the egoness of being a good wrestler and being considered top, but I, I don't have as much desire to be like the center of attention. Uh, I, I never really had that. I, I love getting guys going and then watching um, other people succeed. Uh, I sure I like, there's a part of me that wants to have another run somewhere, but for me, it's like, I just want to get healthy, safe, and then um, have a good act. You know, I'm just in the shop right now. Like I, I want to have complete, you know, I want to come out as a completely new thing and be doing completely innovative modern wrestling, be the crest of the wave. And it's like, we just get hit with all these new things. It's like when an incident happens, like the coronavirus, it's like, well, now I'm going to change my wrestling to adapt to the new environment. You know, I, I watch a lot of wrestling now and I'm like, well, I can't do what I've been doing because everybody saw that innovated on top of it. Some people did it, made it look what I think is like they'll take a move that I do and de- and make it look not as good. So that way, when I do it, it gets associated with a bad version of the move instead of like the cool version. Like, I, I mean, you watch Dragon Kid do deja vu and then you watch other people hit a deja vu. It's just like not the same. And I've seen like uh, so much awesome wrestling get like watered down and imitated that I'm trying to like create a new kind of wrestling wrestling for other people to now water down and imitate uh in this new environment because there just can't be any holes in your game anymore a lot of this stalling is not going to be like people aren't going to get away with without knowing highly technical wrestling and i think it's going to really lean on the technical pros the guys who can really go hold for hold for hold for hold for hold not just hold for hold because it's only going to get you two steps down the road and we got to go for 15 minutes. And if you're just doing the same thing, you're doing the same chin locker sleeper hold, people are going to change the channel. If you're, you know, if guys are out there doing what worked yesterday or what worked last week or last month or last year, fans are going to stop looking at the TV. They'll look at their cell phone. They're going to change the channel. I mean, like it's never been harder to win people's attention now. So I think like, I love just contemplating where wrestling is going and what it's going to be like in five years, like how we're going to, how pe- fans are going to interact with wrestling five years from now and how different it is from five years ago. Um, you know, I remember when I got on Twitter when I was in WWE and there were meetings telling us to not be on Twitter, to not tweet things, to not post. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but that's a little bit different now. <laughs> uh, so it's like, you know, it's, you want to be ahead of the curve, but you don't want to be too far ahead. I think sometimes, uh, like, I think I've been fortunate to be always looking to the future and trying to be ahead of ahead of the curve so that I don't get left behind. Because right now, like, you know, I'm not the one. There, there was a time where I wasn't the one innovating. I was the one, like, and then I show up and I see what Will's doing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now I, I remember that I need to be the innovator, not the guy doing what he's been doing. And so, yeah, I just feel like I'm in the shop right now and my, you know, I – to make to survive like my girlfriend and i make gear we make knee pads for people um you know i i coach i just try and do all the little things i, I love performing and i hope to get back out there but that game plan like i have bookings right now in august and september but you know i can't guarantee on that i can't count on that and uh, i can't count on the american government uh to bail out anybody except oil companies and 
uh, pharmaceutical companies and everybody, but us individuals and independent contractors and small business owners. So, you know, it's, it really is this crazy time where I think about, boy, wrestling, I've done all this damage to my body, but it really has given me a wealth of knowledge. So I would love to just use what I've learned in wrestling uh, to help other people. Uh, but I really feel bad charging for that. So I really wish I had a job that I could make money doing something else and then continue to only wrestle and only be involved with wrestling as the way I started, which was just for fun. I started wrestling for fun. I didn't try and get into it as a profession or as money. I just did it because I loved it and I just wanted to continue being a part of it. I wanted to be in these locker rooms. And like till the day I'm gone, I'm going to be like the old dude showing up in locker rooms. I feel like that's me now. It's crazy because I'll have uh, guys come to me from a vet perspective when I really still walk into locker rooms thinking I'm the young guy who the old guys want to slow down. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's because it's all... That's how I've always been. It's sort of been like an identity I've held on to. Like, I'm the one that does too much. I'm the one that's too fast or too crazy or doing too high-risk stuff. And, um, you know, now, like, I just keep trying to think of new, quote-unquote, high-risk things that in my head are some kind of calculated risk. It's just, like, I see guys doing dives that are the craziest dives ever, and I know that's a calculated risk that I can't take anymore. I don't necessarily tell them not to. But I do recommend guys like notice like, hey, is there crash pads on the floor? Because maybe you you're imitating guys like I had these poor dummies, you know, my my other job in wrestling is to be a safety inspector and to tell guys to, to be safe, to like do the safer outlet for it. Like if you're Will Ospreay, you can do a, a Sasuke to the floor and be fine. But if you're like some local guy who sees a spot on TV and tries to do it on Sunday at his show, you're going to get hurt. And so like part of me is taking guys who are doing that right now on the indies and inviting them to find ways to do it safer and like showing them how it can be done. Like um, in a way where wrestling doesn't get that bad reputation. Like even when I was doing backyard wrestling, I was telling guys to do like a little bit less of that hardcore crazy stuff because I, I want to have a show next week. And then, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of doing that where I'm training my students how to do like hard smash mouth wrestling, but that I for, you know, 20 year careers. And man, I just want to be lucky enough to be involved in conversations like I'm having with you and where I get to like get new perspectives on wrestling from, you know, another backyard wrestler who worked, worked his way up. And, um, you know, getting to collaborate on any projects. Like, I mean, uh, your boy Mandrews is one of these guys that inspires me. I'm inspired by like Ray Phoenix and the Luchadors. So I, I just, I just see me trying to be a part of promoting the kind of wrestling that's going to be in the future. Um, hopefully I'll be also wrestling in it, but like I'll watch a talent from Mexico and I'll say, this guy needs to be in front of the big screen. I just feel like I can, I can see, talent in in young guys and i think i can help them on their path to like realizing their full potential like if you train an artist you don't paint the paintings for them but you like you you're you're somehow involved in their brush strokes to this day still you know and just like having that legacy whether it's like you know i don't need accolades online i don't need anyone to say oh so and so influenced me but i just love seeing my brush strokes uh out there in the world of wrestling. So that's, I'm just trying to like 
push the push the good stuff forward and you know i've made so many mistakes man like the the past couple of years like when i was at impact and i was so hurt you know and i was an asshole and you know nobody's perfect everybody's kind of had ups and downs in their careers and for me now it's like the giving back part is much more rewarding than like the getting accolades and winning the championship at the local fed you know that's for for me i i want to put people on their paths to that rather than being the guy standing in the way uh where can they find you on the internet matt yeah, M A T S Y D A L M A T T S Y D A L. Instagram, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Matt Seidel. On Twitter, find Evan because I started Twitter way too early and had no idea what it was. Find Evan on Twitter. Uh, people just hit me up. You know, I sell autographs and stuff and t shirts during this time. And uh, I do a little bit of online coaching for young aspiring wrestlers. They can hit me up as well. Dude, thank you so much for letting me um, talk. You ask awesome questions. You're a better interviewer and host than 99% of the talks I have. I swear to you, man, like you, you're really intelligent, well-spoken, and you ask questions that I don't get asked. You've made me think like I'm going to be sitting around like going, walking through all my regrets in my career because of all the, the thought-provoking questions. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's. Man, it's just cool. I felt like I'm like working on my bio that I'll never put out. But man, you just really, you really re- made me think about these 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 clutch moments in my career. And uh, a lot of times, people don't bring me to that point. So, uh, you know, cut out what sucked and just stick with this, man. Like you, uh, I mean, you're you're a hell of a wrestler. You got a lot of charisma. But having a talent like this is really like I, I mean, like you're as good at asking questions like Colt. You know, you you really bring somebody to the the points in their career where they're reliving it. They're not just thinking about it. I'm like in that locker room re-experiencing it. And I hope, you know, that I'm able to get that through my bumbling words at noon where I haven't even had breakfast yet. Um, But man, I really appreciate you taking the time to let me talk and, and share this with your fans because man, I mean, in my head, the people that are fans of yours, they've probably never heard of me and they don't care. And you know, if, if, they want to check me out that's great but hopefully i get to wrestle for them live in the future someday because you know my heart is in my live performance and you know i really hold out hope that one day we can all get together whether it's a liverpool olympia or cork and hall or madison square garden or wherever it is you know the local vfw hall or the wherever it is like we can all get working together and actually i really just want to wrestle um and a tag match against you guys. So sign me up for that too if that booking ever becomes available. Because man, uh, have we ever we we haven't wrestled yet? Have no, nah, we? we never have. We've been on shows it's together, but never. Wrestled. It's a rip off. Let's do it. Um, you know, you never know. We'll make that one happen someday. But no, I really appreciate the the kind words. And uh, again, I only ever reach out and do these with people I really want to chat with and people that I really want to kind of hear the stories for. So again, I'm glad that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks, bro. How good was that? What did I tell you? Uh, it's, he's such a cool guy. And just hearing about how much passion he has for wrestling and how he still kind of really wants to pass that on and wants to continue to kind of, you know, do as much as he possibly can because he does talk about his foot kind of being in a bad way and he's, you know, winding down a little bit more now, but still wants to do as much as he possibly can while also being in the absolute, you know, that search for knowledge still. 
and wanted to pass on the knowledge that he has accumulated onto the next onto the next people um i loved hearing about kind of like how things were different back in WWE now because again as i said and i think i said it on another podcast um with some of you i'm i've got on next week i do say that i can only say how i feel about it all and and you know the experiences i had i know i'm very much speak as i find and i've had a great i've had a great experience there um everyone's been great i've learned lots and they've treated me so well and the you know the stuff they've got in place there now when it comes to concussions when it comes to injuries i'm somebody who has been injured while i've been under contract and i've been looked after great and it's just it's really eye-opening to just hear how things have changed and how they've changed for the better which is great to hear and yeah i just really love sitting down with matt as i said i've been a fan with matt for about 20 years and it was just real nice to sit and have a have a real good chat with him and talk about his experiences, talk about lots of stuff that I was wondering myself and hopefully answer questions that you want to know as well. And just really love sitting down and having a chat with one of my favourites. And it was nice as well that at the end he kind of says that uh, he thinks that I'm pretty good at this, which again is always lovely to hear. It's, it's lovely when you guys say it and I think it just means something completely different when not only someone who you consider a peer but somebody who you consider you know somebody you've looked up to somebody that you have imitated or you've kind of replicated or has inspired you to to be the wrestler that you are today and he definitely has because he changed the uh, cruiserweight style in the early 2000s so it's really nice that he uh he admires the stuff that me and mark are doing for one but also says that i'm pretty good at this podcast malarkey because this is somebody who's done a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews so the fact that i was able to kind of uh woo him over with my facilitating skills during this gathering uh means great things for me so uh yeah big thanks matt for sidal i hope everyone's enjoyed it and uh, thanks for coming on the show matt as always if you have enjoyed the podcast please be sure to rate subscribe review um i am running a competition as i said at the start on itunes uh, leave me a review, cheeky five-star rating, a review, put your Twitter handle, your email, whatever you decide to do, and I will pick at random somebody to get some goodies. Um, really cool stuff. I got some t-shirts, got some pins, got some photos of me and Mark, got a me and Mark t-shirt, which I'll probably give you, and hopefully he never listens to this podcast, and he never knows I gave it away for free. And <laughs> he definitely is going to listen to this podcast now. I've said that, I've jinxed it. Um, but yeah, leave me a, a review, and hopefully i got a t-shirt in your size, and I can send it your way. Um, of course, uh, Please just do that on all your stuff on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podcast Addict. Um, of course, I probably am not going to see them on that other stuff. But if you do use that and you are enjoying the podcast, please, please be sure to uh, rate, subscribe, review it. I really do appreciate that. And it does help me get new listeners. Listeners are going up again. I feel like I'm uh, hitting those listeners that I had during the peak of my podcasting days. So it's uh, good that they're going up and up and up. And I feel like I've uh, I've really got some great, really got some great uh guests come in in the next couple of weeks i've uh i've really done myself with some of these guests i'm really happy with them buzzing a little bit um and again started with edge and now it's uh it just keeps getting uh i don't think they ever get better than edge really unless i get stone cold on but it's definitely podcasts that people are listening to the numbers are doing great uh Sidal was fantastic this week alex shelley was great and so was doug last week it's it's just real nice to sit down and chat with all these people that not only inspired me to become a wrestler but people who i consider good friends now as well so that's been actually great but yeah please be sure to do that re subscribe review if you've enjoyed any of those podcasts or you know if you enjoyed any podcasts over the last 100 because they're still all on there uh again 
best way to support this as well is to tweet it out all the social media it out or instagram it out um however you want to put that but i'm at flash underscore morgan on the twitter i'm facebook.com forward slash flash morgan website on the facebook i'm at flash morgan website on the instagram and uh if you do want to send me an email a little discreet email maybe you don't want to put any of this stuff on there if you want to tell me how much you enjoyed the podcast or you can fix the dilemma that i have that i am not on wrestling podcast lists i'm not it's not a sub i'm not on the subcategory of of wrestling so you know i don't enter those lists which is absolutely rubbish so uh please please if you know what to fix that then send me an email maybe i'll send you some stuff so that's flashmorgan at live.co.uk i think that sums it all up i've uh i've had a pretty chilled week as i said move stuff into the gym which made me feel productive i feel that everyone should be looking to do stuff like that at the moment that's been helping me at the moment is looking at things i can do in the house We've also moved the front room around a little bit. We've started making a den in our front room for movie nights. So we've kind of got a bit of a almost like moving all our pillows and a big and a big duvet downstairs. So we can have like a little bit of a pad for us to sit and watch movies. Currently making our way through the Marvel films because the girlfriend has not seen uh, all of them. We watched Galaxy 2 the other day, which she said is her favourite out of all the ones she's watched. And now we're currently on Age of Ultron, which I did not like the first time. And we're halfway through it because we watched half of it last night before she started falling asleep. And I'm really, really enjoying it. So again, I recommend working your way through the Marvel films if you enjoy that or if you've not seen them. And I recommend uh, maybe moving your furniture around or even kind of change the scenery if you're doing some workouts in one room, move it to another room so it all feels a bit different and a bit more productive. I ordered a load of pre-workout for next week. So hopefully the time you speak to me next week, I'll be buzzing on the pre-workout. And I think that really does sum it all up. Uh, again, thanks for everyone listening. Big thanks to Matt Sadell for being on the show. Um, I've got some great, great guests lined up from all over the country, all over the world. And I hope that you continue to uh, give me your time, and give me your years. And uh, it's always a pleasure, always a treasure. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. Later, people. Stay safe.